Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we chat with Danielle Chason, who is flipping and rehabbing homes pretty much all by herself. She does have a team around her, but she's the driving force behind this. Uh, she's a mom with three kids, great story, um, and she does this in a very systematic way. You're going to hear her use the word systematically a lot. Um, she's very well thought out. She plans stuff uh, in, in a lot of detail, probably a lot in a lot more detail than Nick and I have when we flip properties in the past. Um, so just a, a, a great story to share. We're very thankful. Had a good chat with her. And we start talking about interest rates and um, inflation and appreciation and that kind of stuff. So I always get all excited about that stuff. So we kind of deviate into some other conversations along the way. So great chat. And listen, if you are listening to this and you want some real estate education yourself, the best place to go from us would be to our monthly class where we introduce some of the concepts that we're using today in 2019 on how to invest in the greater Toronto area, whether that's doing some condo stuff in Toronto or going all the way out to London, Ontario for some student rental stuff by Western University or doing duplexes in Barrie or doing uh, legal second suite stuff in Oshawa, renting out properties in Belleville or doing straight rentals out in St. Catharines. Whatever it is, we're using a bunch of different strategies, multi-unit buildings in Kitchener, Ontario. So whatever it is, we share the strategies that we're using today to generate cash flow and buy properties um, at a class that we do, you can register for that class at www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's canadianrealestatetraining.com. And Jenny or Anthony from the office will call you and confirm your spot and give you all the wonderful details. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition and more it's the your life your term show with tom and nick Carazza. are you ready let's go okay danielle chase on am i saying your last name properly yeah chase great chase on what nationality is that back french that, it's french french canadian oh my gosh don't tell me you're a habs fan Oh my God, no. I'm not even a hockey fan. Oh, great. Okay, we can be friends. (laughs) We can be friends. I thought you were going to tell me you're a Habs fan. And uh, wow, okay, that's a good start. We're we're off to a good start. So tell me more about how you, um, you know, we started just talking really briefly, but you are a single mom, three kids. How old are the kids? 14, 13, and 11. So you're just a little bit busy. Um, Not at all, Tom. <laughs> yeah, and then you're. Uh, I just want to kind of jump right into it, and then I, I'm going to sure. backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. You flip homes, like you buy, renovate, and sell homes as your primary business activity right now. That's right. Yeah. So I have um, my company, Perfect Property, is my rehab. I don't flip; I rehab, Tom. There's a difference. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There is a difference. Flipping just sounds better on TV. You know, all the flip yeah. TV shows. Okay, you so rehab. So flipping, flipping, flipping is where you um, flipping is where you just do a cosmetic redo when you just make it look nicer uh rehabbing is when you actually improve the property and as you know as a realtor you can improve the life cycle of a house did and you so, just call me a realtor n- oh, no yeah, no as, uh, as a, <laughs> keith on our team is also listening in on this podcast so if anyone listening to this doesn't know nick and i are definitely we have our real estate license but we're not realtors so i am adamant about that as well tom so when people say well why are you a realtor i say it's a tool in my investor toolbox yeah so just to put it into perspective yes, yeah. absolutely but i say that as a realtor because you had to take the same courses that I took. And so we learn when we go through 
um, the educational training in order to get our licenses that we can extend the life cycle of a house. So rehabbing a house is when you're actually improving the house as opposed to, in my opinion anyway, flipping is where you just, you know, do, do like paint and floors and you're actually not improving the state of the home. Got it. You know, and uh, if, if anyone's listening to this, we get calls from TV producers all the time. Uh, not all the time. It's like once a year, I guess, when they start looking for different things. And I didn't know how scripted some of those TV shows are. Oh, yes. Do, mm-hmm. Like they're totally have the house. It's That's already right. decided. They yeah. get three people. They tell people we haven't chosen you. Like on the TV show, they'll say, okay, right. we're interviewing you to see if you're going to work with so-and-so to flip this house or rehab this house. And then they turn them down on the TV show and they are looking all disappointed. Those are some investors that we work with here at Rockstar. <laughs> so they tell us like it's so scripted. Like they even... On one fridge in one property, they made it worse. Um, Another house, they spray painted the wall to make it even look worse for TV and all that stuff. Anyway, so how how did you get to this point where you're doing this with real estate? Um, you know, can you walk me to this point here? Because like, how did you, because are you working in these properties yourself? You're hiring contractors? I have, I actually have contractors on my team that are on my payroll. Okay. and so I've done it both ways. I've done it with subs that I've hired to come in and I've done it with uh, my my team. So the thing is that I found with subs, I'm, as you know, I'm a little bit anal. I'm a bit of a control freak. And so um, with subs, they, they tend to like to work their own hours. And, you know, you can, I don't know, when you're coming in and you're doing a, a four and a half hour day and you're telling me you did a full work day, that's problematic for me. So uh, I'm very structured. People that know me know that I'm structured. I'm systematic about things. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you know what materials you need for the next day, you either leave early, hit Home Depot on your way home, or, you know, pick it up on your way to work in the morning. But leaving halfway through the day on my project to go get stuff at Home Depot and it takes you three hours to go there, pick up the stuff, load up your truck and come back doesn't work well for me. So, um, for me, working with my own guys that I have a little bit of control over works better than working with subs. I feel like you and Nick would get along really well because that <laughs> never works for Nick as well. Oh. Um, so we, yeah, I have, yeah, you have high expectations. You're a very kind and positive person, so you have high expectations for people. Sometimes I just have like low expectations, so I don't get. Uh, maybe it's a self defense mechanism for myself, but I have low expectations on a whole bunch of stuff. But but how did you get to the point where you're pay, you're putting people on payroll? Like that's going to be scary for most people. Like most people are using subs when they're rehabbing. And I'm going to ask you about what properties you buy in a second. But like to get to the point where you're putting people on payroll. Right. How do you get to this point? Yeah, it, that was a hard decision for me um, because as a person that that is highly responsible, um, taking on somebody's livelihood and taking that into my own hands is not something that I took lightly. Now, some other people, they're like, oh, okay, well, I don't have any work, lay them off, or I know we can get this project done within three months and I can let them go within three months and there's no repercussion and use, you know, the the, the rules around la- the labor laws to their advantage. And I mean, you know, construction is a dirty business, uh, but I want to be able to sleep at night. So I'm not going to, I'm just not going to go there. So it took me a while to hire this guy. Um, so I needed to know that I had my marketing in tuned enough that I had leads coming in that I knew I'd have the next project lined up so that I could get 
him going, keep him busy. And I actually just hired my second guy this past Monday. So that was also another really difficult decision for me because I'm like, well, now we're going to do the projects in twice the time. And now I need to make sure that I'm that much better at my marketing. But as you grow in business, you're going to scale up and, and you do have to take some risks, but this is pushing me outside of my comfort zone because it's easy for me to just not have to push on the marketing get the next deal because i know it's going to take gord three months three and a half months to do the project on his own with my other trades um so i can kind of be lazy about it but now that i know i've got another guy whom i'm responsible for his family and his livelihood now it's going to push me to you know just make sure that i'm a little bit more diligent and get so because i want to scale the business so i'm positioning myself in a way where i have to do more and i have to perform better so it's, i'm kind of using that to my advantage and how are you so yeah awesome we're totally pumped for you you're and i just knowing you as you know, we don't know each other super well, but I know enough about you that you're totally gonna pull this off. Um, how are you finding the systematic way to get new properties? Like, are you buying, are you uh, rehabbing properties in Toronto proper around the GTA? Like, what is your system? I don't know if it's like too secret you can't share with us or, <laughs> no, but for real, because I'm not asking you to give all your secrets on how you find properties, right. but can you just paint a picture so people understand, hey, here's the kinds of things I'm doing? Well, as you know, um, so when I first started, it was mostly MLS properties. Um, I think most people start out there and that's fine. As you know, now it's harder to get MLS deals. Um, the, the spreads are just not as good as they used to be. The key for people that are listening to the, um, to the podcast, I just want to put that out here as a tip. If you want to find properties on MLS, there are properties out there, but you have to be, it's all about speed. You have to be the first to see it. You got to get the you got to get your offer in right away and you got to nab it oh get my it. god it's just on that point when we first started helping investors buy properties and then we saw a good deal come up nick and i would literally be racing from oakville to somewhere like brantford or mm -hmm. hamilton like literally speeding mm -hmm. to get there and then talking to the listing agent saying i have an offer we don't even know which investor we're working with is going to do the offer then call the investor saying i got a hot one here right. i'm going there right now if this is good we're going to be making an offer and you're going to be buying it. and they just trusted us enough and they're like okay i'll come down tonight i'll check it out we're like no 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 not tonight <laughs> if i get there and this is what i think it is we're doing this right now i'm going to be and this is when we used to fax things back and forth right. i'm like i'm going to fax i have nick at the office he's going to be faxing you the paperwork and you're going to fax it over we're doing this right now right so you're, you're right and that's how it's continued it's it's like that the whole time that's the only way you're gonna get a solid deal with good numbers on MLS yeah, yeah and now there's enough realtors out there that are realtor investors that they're nabbing it so you're you're not just against realtors shopping for their investors anymore you're against realtors that are shopping for themselves and so it's even that much harder because they have systems in place to, to see the properties as quickly as they come up so um, so yeah so I mean most people start out in MLS there are still deals to be found on MLS it's just you need to dig and you got to be diligent so consistency is key on MLS but as you know I do a lot of networking events and people understand what I do now and now the deals they most of my deals just come to me okay so, so you're at that point where yeah. people are finding you yeah they just you know they know I'm a serious buyer I, I will give you an answer within 10 minutes I just need to look at the property like I don't see the property I can I'll, I've bought properties blind without seeing them so um, because as an investor I always it's all about the numbers for me and I know my market well enough um, I actually had a wholesaler yesterday sent me a text. He goes, are you interested in uh, a mountain property? 
in it's Hamilton. The Hamilton Mountain. Yeah, and I'm like, absolutely. And he gave me a number. I didn't ask about the area. I didn't ask about whether I can duplex it because most Hamilton Mountain, is, I look at them as duplexes. And um, anyhow, and I, and I right away I said, yep, not at that price. I didn't even have to look it up. I, I it was an immediate decision. And he's like, yeah, okay. So he's got his number. It just didn't work. But you know what? I've done a deal with this guy before and it's cool. So, but he came to me first because he knows one, I'll give you an answer right away. And two, if it's a yes, it's a hard yes. Like I, there, I've bought houses on a handshake. And so um, people know that they can trust me. So that's what, you know. And is that what you're doing around the GTA? So like Hamilton, do you focus in on Hamilton? Do you go all over? My focus is strictly Hamilton right now because I want to, and now I have all my trades, but as I built out the business in Hamilton, I've been in Hamilton now for three years. Um, before I niched it down to one market, I was all over the place and I quickly realized that every time I go through a rehab, I have to go through, I spend a lot of time in the vetting process, finding the electrician, finding the plumber, finding, you know, at the right price because it's got to work within your budget. Um, and then, you know, I did a flip in Sarnia and then, but I'm never going to see those guys again and I'm not going to keep them busy. It's and hard Sarnia to build. is like three hours away or whatever. Well, and that was another yeah. issue. I'm doing a lot of time yeah. on the road, right? Cause I didn't have boots on the ground. So I was there. Um, and then I did one in Port Hope, which was a beautiful property. Um, but same thing, you know, you're dealing with, you're dealing with setting up, um, with people that you want to build relationships with. But when you're not consistently doing work in that area, you're not going to build those you're not going to build that relationship and build rapport with those people. Like now I don't even talk like my plumber. I just give him the lockbox. He goes and we just have a great relationship. So now what I'm doing is I'm actually building, I got on my A listers and I'm building my B in case they're too busy or if they're, you know, if they have higher demand, they're going to increase their rates and that's fine. That's their business model. I need to be ready for that. So I need to have, you know, I've got a B plumber and I've got a B electrician. And so, um, just making sure that I have all my systems in place. Now I can take that and I can lift, use all of what I've created. I'm very systematic with my business. And then I can go to any market and start the process all over again. You, you have no single point of failure in what you're building with the B players. Like Nick and I talk about that all the time. Like where do we have a single point of failure in our business? And then where, you know, where is that point? And then how can we build multiple redundancy? So is that with a person? Like if we only have one mortgage broker contact, right. we're freaking out. One lawyer, we're freaking out. Mm -hmm. Right. One way to generate new leads, like you were talking about leads, we're right. freaking out. Mm -hmm. No single point of failure. Number one, like having one in the business is always like the worst for us. Absolutely. Right. So that's interesting seeing you kind of do it that way. Mm -hmm. And then is it, um, is there a certain, I, I guess I don't really, it doesn't matter your profit margin or whatever. So you buy them at the right price, then you know what you're going to be able to sell them for. So you basically know upfront what you need to buy them for. Right. sounds like a renovation is going to take you about three months to do mm -hmm. something like that. And you're doing multiple a year. Right. So I, my goal close to close is six months. So most people, when they look at rehabs, they just look at the time it takes to mm -hmm. rehab a property. The problem is that's not how long you're going to have the property for. And the other thing that most people that start out rehabbing, they don't realize from the day you close, it's money out, money out, yeah. money out, money out, money out, money out until the day you sell on your disposition. So uh, close to close is always what you want to think about when you're running your numbers and when you're doing your, your due diligence. Uh, so close to close, my uh, goal is six months. That's not a, too bad because a close, like someone buys your property, it might be like a 60 day, you know, you're That's selling right. it vacant, but That's it could right. be 60 days if they're selling their property, whatever's going on. So six months isn't too bad. That's actually pretty good. Well, I just sold a property on Tuesday that I just finished rehabbing and um, 
and there so what's the date on Tuesday it was April 9th and we're closing June 7th but he you know dollars and cents he was the highest number and so I'm like yeah sure I'll hold on to the property for an extra month makes sense for me financially compared to the other offers that I had on the table and I said yeah sure let's uh let's do that so that's June so what is that April May June that's two months so I had it on the prop on the market for about three weeks and uh, I had it on, I had to take it off, put it back on. So that's why it was three weeks. So just the selling process was three months almost. And people don't think about that. And this is in a good market, healthy mm-hmm. seller's market. It's never really discussed on the TV shows either. It's really not. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really yeah. not. Okay, so, and then how do you, I feel like you do some of the work. Like you get your hands, or do you get your hands dirty all the time? Not all the time. Okay. No, I get I my feel hands like dirty. I've seen a picture of you working. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I haven't or something. So maybe you saw my pink tools and my. Yeah, maybe I feel yeah. like I have. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I have a pink tool belt. I do have a tool belt. I have Carhartts. Uh, I've got my black steel-toed boots, and uh, they have hot pink laces. Uh, and I sprayed all my Dewalt tools pink. I took spray paint at one of my rehabs. I laid it out on the subfloor, and I just went nuts with two bottles. That's a great branding exercise. Well, listen, this is people look at me and they say I'm very intentional with everything that I do. There is not one systematic. I am intentional. I I can tell every time you say the word systematic, you get excited. I do. I I mean, I'm very passionate about what I do. But um, anyhow, so I was very passionate about spray painting my tools, and I posted that actually. If you look at my Facebook feed, um, I actually posted the picture, and I got a lot of flack from the guys saying, "How dare you do that to Dewalt?" But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is not one guy that I know that's going to steal my pink tool. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It's just not going to happen. I, I just think about the heat that like the you know screw gun is going to give off. I'm like, isn't the paint going to start peeling off or something like that? But that's anyway that goes through my mind. You said something about Carhartts? Yeah, coveralls. Oh, got it. Those yeah. are coveralls? Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay, uh, got Clearly, it. you don't get dirty. No, not anymore. <laughs> and the thing is, when we did, um, uh, I didn't have any of the proper tools. I didn't, you know, we were just, we were more like, Nick and I getting dirty is more like we're the demo team. You know, we're just going to rip it. Give us a sledgehammer. We're going right. to rip it out. But any actually skilled work of mm-hmm. any sort, mm-hmm. um, no, we're not going to do. We can hang drywall, mm-hmm. but that's about it. So, yeah, I have basic tools, but uh, no. And anymore, I don't really get dirty anymore. And we mostly do rental property stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, okay, and back me up a little bit. How did you get into this? Like, Well, what? let's let's go way back, Nick, or Tom, sorry. The... the um, I've always been drawn to real estate. And so when I was about 20 years old, maybe 21, I wanted to be a realtor. Somebody told me that it was a dishonest trade. And then they gave me a couple of examples. They're like, well, look, if somebody dies in the property and you're selling it, you're not going to tell other people that somebody died. And so (laughs) you're going to have to lie about that. That's not even true. You legally have to disclose Well, you do legally have to disclose, but the realtor... the realtor uh, profession back then had a really bad rap. Yeah. Now it's a whole different, I mean, the landscape has Does changed. Does it have a good rap now? Yeah, well, oh, it's better, really? it's better, okay. it's better. Come okay. on, it is better. I associate everyone with a real estate license, myself included. I'm like, oh, there's used car salesmen and it's lawyers. Kind of the same, and, yeah, yeah, right? It, we're it, lumped in. Yeah, you know? we are, we totally are. And um, But you know what, there's a lot of great realtors out there and now there's some laws, it's a regulated industry and there's some things in place to protect people. But at the time, that's what I was told. Like, oh, if there's a problem with the base, there's a leak of the foundation you can't disclose that because you'll never sell the house and I'm like well I'm not gonna lie and screw people I'm just not gonna do that so uh, is it okay to say that word 
on the podcast. Lie? N- no. Screw people? Screw. Oh, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. It's good. We've said worse. You're good. So, um, so yeah. So, anyhow, so I'm not going to do that. So, I completely got off of that. And then, fast forward a few years, I met uh, my, my life partner at the time, and he was a contractor. And so, I got into the contract. And I've always been, like, I just, it's my world. I love it. Um, I love seeing the transformation when we're working and we're, we're, we're changing things and we're updating things. I just love it. And, um, and so in the business aspect, it was nice. I was in the office a lot and because I'm systematic and they weren't, it was him and his brother. So I did a lot of changes and I learned a lot. Um, but then, you know, I, I took them as far as they were willing to go as far as changes. People will only go as far as they're comfortable and then uh, I felt like I was hitting a wall, and I said, "You know what? I got to do my own thing." So, um, how old how old were you when you did? Th- how long have you been doing this? Uh, okay, so uh, I, I I was working in the office. I, I probably started when I was twenty nine, and then I did that for about ten years, and then I started doing this. About I decided, and we had properties. So at the time, so what happened was that you know started buying properties, and we were landlords. And I thought I knew everything because I was a landlord. I had it all figured out, Tom. Like I, I'm like I got this. I'm a landlord. I know how to invest. I have a house. I have two of them now. Look, I got three. And so, um, you know, I thought I had it figured out. I had a whole plan. And and then um, when I realized um, that I wanted to do something for myself, I decided to go into real estate. And so I bought uh, into a program, had a coach. And um, learned a lot, realized I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I thought I knew everything. I knew nothing. It's so, funny that path we all go through. You know, a little bit of something you think you're the expert. Mm-hmm. And then the more you learn, you realize how little you learn. Absolutely. And you just kind of keep coming down and down. You're like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I absolutely know nothing about the subject matter I thought I was the expert in. Right. And then it slowly kind of builds back up. And That's you come right. back up to that expert status that you thought you were at the beginning. That's right. When you're telling everyone that you know everything about real estate and real estate investing. I tell Nick now, I'm like, oh my gosh, the more I learn, I study the economy a lot. And I like learning about interest rates and all this kind of global monetary policy. And the first six months into it, I'm like, I got it all figured out. Like, I think I understand the global macroeconomic policy of the world. And then as you learn more, you're like, holy smokes, I don't know anything, right? So it's just a standard uh, standard thing. Keith, I don't want you to miss your train. Keith is leaving. You got to go. You got to go. Um, so, okay, so you went through that process and then uh, you got your real estate license at that time? No, no, you yeah, didn't? No, I, so I bought into this program, uh, started, and then and then at that point I had made a conscious decision that I was going to take 18 months to start uh, for education. So I put, it was a large investment into this program um, and I decided I'm going to get the most that I can out of it and I'm just going to really take it all in. And so I decided to commit to 18 months just to educate. Now that 18 months was more like two and a half years. Having said that, through that process. Um, I don't know if that's a woman thing. I don't think guy. I think guys are so like, I'll figure this out. Like maybe I'll buy some education and I'll just kind of like jump in and do it. But you like committed to learning for a period of time. Right. I think guys are more just like, screw it you know I'll I'll, I'll 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 figure this out as i go because i took a lot of those court like are you talking about mm-hmm. the high price like thousand mm-hmm. dollar courses yeah we've all been higher. down that Keep higher yeah higher. no i are you <laughs> i we've been doing i'm just older right. so we started doing this so long ago that i think it was uh i shouldn't say that nick spent i think 10 grand on a one-week course and then i spent another like eight grand on one so i think mm-hmm. on just real estate stuff even back then i guess we're over 30 grand easy right. i told you i spent five thousand dollars on a box of tapes 
yes. from Robert Allen. Yeah, yes. so yeah, we're easy. And that was way back then. And then since then, all the money we spent mm-hmm. on education and stuff. Anyway, Mike, I think guys just figure it out. Whereas I, I kind of admire what you said, that you were willing to dedicate like 18 months to learn. Mm-hmm. Like I've never really heard someone say that when it comes to like real estate. Well, here's the difference, though. Uh, most people that make a life shift like that, they, you know, I, you're putting in that investment and you want to make it back right away. And for me, this was a long term gain. I'll, always was a long term game plan for me. Um, but my situation was different than most people. I didn't need to make the money back right away because I was just, well, I wasn't a stay at home mom because I worked in the office, but I didn't like, I didn't have a traditional job where, you know, I was, you know, we already had family income and we were, you know, it was okay. So, uh, I, I just wasn't driven by getting dollars and cents today. And so I said, I'm going to take the time that I need now and then get the payoff later. And that's what's happening now. But at the time, I just said, you know, I want to get, I invested into that for knowledge, not for dollars. And I made sure that I dedicated the time to that. And through that process, um, they had suggested and, and ended up convincing me to get my realtor's license. So I also got that in that time frame. So it was more like two, two and a half years and then, uh, and then I started implementing what I learned. And then every year I'm just kind of, yeah, it's the snowball effect. So it's taking time and it's slowly kind of growing into a bigger, every year it just gets bigger and better. So and we talked about this briefly and I just want to repeat this because I'm surprised at how many people think that you can make money um, so quickly in business mm-hmm. and how many people think they're a failure if they don't. Like that's what bothers me a little bit. So I just want to share this because we talked about this. Mm-hmm. The first three years that Nick and I started Rockstar as a business, we had money flowing, um, but uh, we were negative. Like we were barely surviving for easily three years. Mm-hmm. And I think at the five year mark of starting the business, we were like, you know, paying ourselves enough where I, I was sharing a story where I paid for our family's uh, property tax bills one year from the credit line on that house. And, you know, when it comes to finances, mm-hmm. I only that's probably the best idea to take money off the credit line to pay for property taxes. But that's the financial point that, that I was at. Mm-hmm. And we had income properties and we were running this business. I think already at that point, people thought we had it all figured out and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're starting a business, I just want you to know. And just as you're saying, like the first few years, you have to feed the business. Mm-hmm. I used to think we were going to start. A, I really thought this way that I was going to start a business and I would be able to take one hundred thousand dollars. So I know I had that in my head. Hundred grand from the business within a year and life will be glorious. And I didn't realize that basically at the beginning you push everything back in. That's right. Everything, the business uh, needs attention and it needs money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I can see how, it, you know, you, you're right. Like it's a snowball that you're building. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing I can tell you is that now after Rockstar is now um, 11 years old, I quit 13 years ago, not quite 12 years ago. Now things have changed, especially in the last few years. There's enough momentum and enough of like a snowball effect where, you know, things are have come full circle. I remember telling my wife that my income is going to go down if I go in the self-employed route and go into like entrepreneurship and this real estate investing stuff and make a business out of it. But long term, um, it'll go higher and we'll have more freedom. Absolutely. And that, I said, is the most important thing to me. And our income did take quite a hit. It took more of a hit than I ever thought it was going to take. <laughs> At one point, I was getting GST checks back from the government. I don't know if they still do those, but I guess the, sure. my tax returns were so low that I guess the government thought I needed help, but I was right. getting GST back checks. But anyway, I just want to share that so that people know like what you're going through. This is like the normal thing, but you're building the foundation. Absolutely. And that was the whole point of it is to build a foundation so that when I'm ready to scale, 
It's just like, I'm going to launch. And that's the point where I'm at right now. So, uh, but you're absolutely right on that point. There is a, there, there really is a misconception that, you know, I'm going to do this and then it, it's just all going to magically appear. Here's what I tell my students. When you're getting into real estate, a lot of them, they're like, well, I want to be a full-time real estate investor and I'm going to quit. And I'm like, no, do not. You're not there yet. Build the foundation first put everything in place so that because all of the foundational stuff are not what is going to generate they're not revenue generating activities what we call RGAs they're not you have to put certain systems and certain people in place to implement some certain things you have to put all of those wheels on the bus in order to be able to drive the bus so you have to put all of these little pieces that you think are insignificant but you can't drive a bus with one meal one wheel off they all have to be on so don't quit until all the wheels are on the bus then you can jump in the, in know, the driver's no, seat and go you're so right and no one wants to hear that mm -hmm. like i remember thinking and because that's the advice i would give to myself um you know my 20 year old self or whatever but i would be so pissed off at the person telling me that because i'm like sure. you don't understand mm -hmm. i'm gonna make this work Absolutely. and i'm gonna quit but the advice is so uh, valuable what what so how did you figure this out like what are some of the foundation pieces that you think are important and how did you figure that out that's like pretty advanced thinking well i paid for coaching yeah. Okay. So you had like a, some sort of mentor, some training somewhere. Yeah, okay. I have several and like I'm north of a hundred thousand at this point. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't know if that's a proud thing. Or no, no. I, listen, all <laughs> we added it up like a, a four or five years ago, Nick and I added up all the conferences. Mm -hmm. So real estate and marketing and business building stuff. We almost had a heart attack because I think it was mm -hmm. like three. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. this to, I don't mean if this comes across like bragging, I, I don't mean it. Mm -hmm. I just want people to know that it's over like 300, this was years ago, it was yeah. over 300, 350 grand. This is this mm -hmm. both of us together, but like the flights and- But the you're gonna know, oh, I haven't even put all of that yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but like I'm gonna tell you, the time, it's not just the capital that you're putting totally. in, but the time, it's a tremendous, anybody who knows me knows I spend almost the equal amount of time in a conference room than I do working on my business. And that's because, like I have a competitive edge. I know exactly, and that's why I struggle when I, we talked about this, where dealing with people, I know what I know, and so when I'm dealing with professionals, I have certain expectations that if they're the professional, they should know more than I do. But I am in conference rooms and staying on top of my game and and learning about their game. So it's, sometimes it's a little bit challenging, but it, it's not just the capital investment, it's also the time investment that you put into it. Um, and now, I mean, long term, I'm not going to be spending as much time as I have in the past. I needed to get a solid foundation, which I have now. Um, but as you know, I mean, the numbers are high because as you get better at your craft, the mentors become more expensive. It's just part of how it is. But now I'm at a point where I'm giving back and I'm sharing that as you do with your member base and just sharing our knowledge with other people. So we have pluses and minuses in life. And all of my mentors were my pluses who reached down and pulled me up. And now I'm doing the same and, and reciprocating that. So, and I'm very excited. Like, that's just, I, lo I love it. I love Yeah, and I'm gonna ask you more about what you're doing in, in a second. On the, uh, what are you telling your your kids are at this age where the, do they know exactly? You oh, know, they know. Are you, mm -hmm. So what, well, how do you explain, mm -hmm. how do you talk about money to your kids? Are you talking about money to your kids yet? I have. Are you talking about real estate to your kids yet? I have. What do you, what do you say? I bring them to a conference. I thought you were gonna say I brainwash them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to. I'm trying to through a third party. So here's the interesting thing. And as you know, I mean, you can't learn from your spouse. You can't learn from your parent because the, the dynamics of the relationship is what it is. So you work with what you got. So I have, there's a group that I'm affiliated with and they have 
Uh, I can go to a conference, bring my kids who will be in a different room and they have a different speaker speaking at their level and teaching them about finances and real estate. So what's interesting about that is I can teach my kids all of that. The problem is they're just not going to listen to me. So what I do is they go into this conference room, they get from them. And I I mean, it was just a brilliant thing. They come walking out and my, my second son, my middle son, he's 13 now. He says to me, he goes, mom, uh, listen, uh, JP was just talking about this uh, this thing, compounding interest, and I think I got it, but can you just can you just go over it with me again just to make sure I got it right? Guess what? Now he's open to hearing from me. So the other thing that I've done, so when I go to my projects, I always, I, I like to bring them along. I'm very cautious not to drag them along because I don't want them to hate it. So I invite them to come along. I try to get them excited somehow. I've tried to bribe them and say, why don't you come with me and, you know, I'll give you 20 bucks and we can clean windows (laughs) or something. Um, And that's not working so much anymore. So I think maybe I'm just too cheap or I'm not sure. Maybe I'm not giving them enough. But um, the the thing is, is that um, I do my workshops. And so my son is big on photos and videos and videography and he always wants to use my big camera he calls it canon you know I don't even know what kind of but you know he likes using it and I'm like well I said do you want to come and be the videographer for my for my my event and he's like oh okay so what do I have to do of course we'll go through all of that well now I'm exposing him but it's his choice and so he's open to it and now they see me in a position of authority so maybe now they'll just be more open to hearing it and that my daughter wanted to come along as his quote-unquote assistant so it was really kind of cute um and I'm really excited about getting them involved when they're a little bit older they're still kind of young yeah they're, they're kind of at that age yeah because your oldest you said 13 14 14 I think it was 14 it might have been 13 or 14 I I guess I forced him but I forced my son to read Rich Dad Poor Dad during the summer mm-hmm. and I said at the end of the summer I want uh, the 10 favorite points from the book and I want you to present them to myself and your mom at the front of the room. So you're going to give like an oral presentation because I was trying to teach him like public speaking at right, the same right, time. Right. And uh, I think back at that, I'm like, was I just genuinely crazy? Did you pay him? No, like, no, I didn't pay incentive? him. No, no, he said, no, there was no incentive. It, it, he, and he listened. Did? Yeah, oh. he listened. I know. My son listens. Now it's not so much. Now he's got, he's turning 17 this month. Now he's got very different opinions. Right. And, uh, but he's a great guy. So what do you do to get your kids involved or teach them? Yeah. How how do you get over that parental relationship block? You know, I'm at this point where Aiden, my 17 year old, he genuinely seems interested still. So he asks me questions about like, why did you and uncle Nick, uh, start buying rental properties and then that's like my little opening to be like well incomes and assets are you know and i'll go into this idea that like incomes don't keep up with assets i'm like mm-hmm. you know what an asset is and uh i'll try to have this like i'll try not to get too excited <laughs> in the right, conversation right. um but he genuinely because I, I don't tell him anything really about rockstar mm-hmm. he just sees it and then i let him ask me the questions right and then he just like you're saying mm-hmm. i let him be open to it mm-hmm. and then i take those opportunities to explain that's right in detail and I try not to go overboard because I'll get all excited I have that if you get a rental property this and so yeah yeah me too because I'm like oh my gosh if you do this and this you have time and this compound right. interest and all this thing. Right. but now he's at the point he just started working as a produce clerk because he started driving and we said hey look we're not going to pay for your gas you know you got to do this stuff like a car you know has these responsibilities so you're gonna have to start working and I really wanted him to get a job like not with uh, like I wanted to go out into the world a little bit and um, he started asking me questions just recently because we make him structure his bank account so that anytime he gets paid 
at 50% of all the money coming into his life has to go to a long-term savings account. Then he has other sa- other accounts where he can start saving for things. So of the 50% remaining, if he's saving up for something, a chunk goes into that account. And then finally, he has one checking account that's just a spending account, right? So he, he's kind of, he. we've told him, this is how you have to divide up your money. Um, and he, he, he just commented to me the other day, he's like, already in my long-term savings account, this is how much money I have, so what am, what is this money for? And I'm like, well, if you don't save up money, you're gonna live on the street, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're gonna be homeless. I'm just threat. I'm joking. So I say you save up your money, and then you're gonna buy a rental property. Um, that's what I would do with it. It's ultimately gonna be your decision. But the reason I would suggest that is this, this, and mm-hmm. this. Um, and then he asked, well, when did Uncle Nick buy his first rental property? And Nick bought his first property at 21. So now he's got this competitive thing going where he's like, I want to beat him. Oh, that's awesome. So he's trying to save up to buy his first rental property before he's 21. So we'll see if that happens. So those are kind of some of the things that I'm doing. But uh, the dividing up the money has been a huge thing just Mm -hmm. to him to see those bank accounts grow in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I never had anyone explain money to me in that way. And I used to just lump it into one account and spend it all. I never even kept money for taxes. I was a subcontractor. I worked for my father as a subcontractor doing just basically slave labor type work, cleaning up construction sites, picking up the drywall, just being the laborer. And he would pay me, but they didn't hold back taxes because I was a subcontractor mm-hmm. out to the to the business. And uh, um, I didn't even hold money for taxes and I had to pay tax. I learned, I learned everything the hard way. So I'm just trying to explain to him a little in advance, like save some money, chop it up this way. Um, are it's, you- It's are funny you, you say that because I don't tell my kids to save money. Yeah, so- I, I tell them, and, there's three things you can do with money. Um, you can spend it, you can save it, or you can invest it. And now through, I learned from one of my students. So now I say there's four ways, four things you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can save it, you can invest it, and you can donate it. That's good. I yeah. love that. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. So you, so just to put it out there, you learn from everybody, not yeah. just your pluses. You learn from everybody. Yeah, that totally. came from a student. So, So now I say there's four things. But when I say save it, I don't mean save it as in putting it in a bank account. So I, anybody who knows me, I'm not really frugal with money, but I don't like spending more than I have to on any one thing. So like flying somewhere. If I'm flying somewhere and the connection is $50 cheaper, but it has the same end result, I'm all over it. Because I'm like, no, that $50 is better than my money. That's how I save money. So I don't save money in the sense of putting money in the bank account. I save money by, you know, shopping at Burlington Coat Factory instead of at the outlet, you know, the name brand store, or I buy a Fossil watch instead of a Michael Kors watch because Fossil makes Michael Kors watches. So I still have a beautiful watch, but it's, you know, cheaper by at least half. And so that's how I save money. Um, but that's what I tell my kids is, you know, there's four things you can do with money. I like it. I like it. I, uh, I, there's, and there's something else I say that's probably rather ridiculous. I, I tell them that the, 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 the stuff that's coming through your hands, <laughs> I go crazy. I'm hesitating to even share this, but I tell them it's it's not even money. Uh, like I, t- I talk to them about precious metals <laughs> and I'm like, hey, look, this stuff just loses value over time. So to your point about mm-hmm. investing, that's why we talk about assets and mm-hmm. stuff. And, and uh, I get them to, since they were kids, to b- buy silver. So, and I talk to them about money and my daughter came to me at one point. She's like, dad, everyone in my school seems to have a bank account. 
But with all the money that I've had over the years, you always get me to buy these silver coins. <laughs> like, why <laughs> don't I awesome. have a bank account, you know? And so I talk to her about silver and gold and I get all crazy about that. But uh, I'm just realizing how ridiculous it all is. But this is all the stuff I kind of believe in. <laughs> so now, so they, yeah. So my kids have, uh, they have a precious metals, little mini education on pre precious metals as well. But um, but but you know this is a big point. I just want to explain this because uh, now you got you got me started thinking about. I this. love it. That um, like I, I try to explain. I'm like, look, incomes. Incomes don't just keep up with assets. So if there's a spread, so for example, if your income's going up two percent a year in Canada, if you're a Canadian listening to this, your income's going up two percent a year, but you think property prices are going up, and pick the number: five percent, six percent, eight percent. That spread. So if your income's going up two percent, but property prices are going up, let's say it's been good the last few years, and let's say it's going up, I don't know, let give me five percent, no more, six percent. Let's say six percent. So. Prices double, uh, two percent increase. Prices double every thirty-five years. So um, at a four percent spread. So if your income's going up two percent a year and your assets are going up six percent a year, there's a four percent difference there. So that means every about sixteen, seventeen years, let's call it seventeen years or so, property prices or asset values are doubling on you. Mm -hmm. So if you don't invest your money, like you're saying, that's right every 17 years people are going to look around who don't know this concept and say i just don't get it mm -hmm. everything's more expensive than it was before mm -hmm. and every 17 years so if a lifetime is however many years 17 what's two 17's 34 four 17's is what 68 so if you live to 68 longer but let's just say mm -hmm. 68 at 68 things have doubled on you four times mm -hmm. and if you don't know this concept you're not going to know understand why mm -hmm. right and i'm like that's why you need to understand how money works Otherwise, you're going to be one of those people because those are the ones that I don't want to say irritate me, but just almost I feel disappointed in them. I'm like, they look around and they're saying, well, everything's so expensive now. And I'm like, that's the way the system works. Mm -hmm. That's the way this, this is so actually supposed to work this way. And the fact that we don't teach our kids that, right. I feel like we're, they're getting left behind because we teach them to get incomes and jobs and they don't keep up with this stuff. But the system is actually designed to do this. But everyone just looks around saying, I don't understand why things are so expensive. I got way off track. No, I you're got, absolutely fine. You're actually touching, if I may, Tom, uh, you're actually touching something I'm really, really passionate about. So uh, one thing I tell uh, my students and, and everybody that I talk to who's interested in real estate uh, most people, I'm probably one of the one of the exceptions, but most people don't love real estate. I do. But most people don't love real estate. They get into real estate because they understand that it's going to uh, it's going to allow them the freedom for something later in life. And so real estate, typically real estate is a vehicle to your passion. This is one of the things that I'm going to use real estate for, which is financial literacy in the education system, because I am very, very disappointed with the fact that we don't have proper financial literacy. I should not be having seminars and teaching adults about financial literacy in a seminar room that should be taught in our education system. So as soon as I have uh, reached a point where I can afford the time to spend and advocate in Ottawa and make it happen across Canada. And I, anybody who wants to join me on this, I'm all over You preach. It. I feel like you're going, yeah. I you am. Go, and once I commit, like I'm all in, like anybody knows me, I'm on both ends of the spectrum. It's all or nothing. And right now I'm not doing it because I can't commit full to it. But once I decide to pull the trigger on this, um, I'm going to be all in and it's going to be, it's, it's, it's really going to be a, tornado that's going to fly so through. you'll have to keep us posted on what this is a this this freaks me out like mm -hmm. i just freak out that we just are 
guidance counselors mm-hmm. and everything in schools. We just talk about careers and we don't even talk about how money works. It, like right. it just bothers me to no end. Yes. And then when I study this monetary policy and I see what the central bankers do and I go, oh my God, this is all in plain sight. Like this is actually how the whole system and whole world is designed and no one's talking about it. You look around just thinking you want to shake people like wake up. You're getting screwed. But even <laughs> but even Tom, you know, like you're talking high level, but they don't even teach basic financial literacy. Like I would be happy just starting with fundamental stuff as far as like the rule of 72 that's one of the things that i preach in every single one of my seminars you have to understand the rule of 72 because most explain people the who, rule of 72 so the rule of 72 tom is uh in the investing world whatever rate of return you're getting on your investments you take that you divide it into 72 and that's how long it's going to take you to double your investments at that rate so if you take like with your examples if you take people that are investing at the bank at the branch level, say 2% in a savings account, it's going to take them, what is that, 36 Thir- years. Yeah. So 36 years to double your money. So if you have $100,000 in 36 years, you're going to have $200,000. Um, so, but if you take that rate and you make it say 8% a consistent, now let me just be clear on this. It has to be a consistent 8% annual rate of return. And you divide that into 72, that's nine years. So every nine years, you're going to double. So in 36, you're going to double four times with the 2%. So if you're looking at the, the 36 year mark at 2% to double your money and you take it at 8% and you double your money every nine years, you're going to get to that 36 year mark um, four times. So you're going to go from 100,000 to 200,000, 200,000 to four, four to eight, eight to 1.6 million. So do you want with a $100,000 investment, $200,000 after 36 years, or do you want $1.6 million? I like the way you talk about it because you talk about it from a really positive point of view. I always think about that stuff from like this negative point of view, like we're getting ripped off. There's this inflation <laughs> at 8% and you talk about it like how it's growing your money. And right. I'm like, we're all getting screwed because prices are going up. But So I like your approach. It's a nice, it's a better positive approach. I'm like this, we're, God damn it, we're getting, do you not know we're getting screwed right now? But uh, your approach is a nice, it's a better, it's the better way to talk about this kind of stuff. Well, and to I, your I point, feel like I'm just like, Jesus. Yeah, well, you know, and that's what people say. You're getting screwed by the bank because the bank takes your money at 2%. Guess what they're doing? Yeah, yeah. They're lending it out at 12, 14, 19% on credit cards. That's what they're doing. They're taking your money and they're lending it out and they're do- because they have the education and the knowledge. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's and you're un- giving them nice credit right now by saying education and knowledge but they also have the right to create money because when danielle goes to the bank and you sign the paperwork to get a new mortgage they didn't have that money saved up that money magically came into an existence do you know what i mean so that's very kind of you and they do have the education and the knowledge but they also have the right to literally because that's what's happening when you take a mortgage and that three hundred thousand dollars gets sent over to the seller of that property that you just bought the bank just fabricated that out of thin air and that's where i look at these guys and go this is a racket Okay, this but what do you co- mean they took it out of thin air? Well, they didn't have that money. The money wasn't saved up in the bank. So like they didn't have, like when you go to get a mortgage, it's not like they said, you know what? We've done a really good job. We've saved up uh, another $300,000 in deposits from people. And now if Danielle needs a mortgage, we're able to offer her that mortgage. Oh. No, 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 no. They have a small amount of money. And they're able to lend out in multiples against that money. Against the small amount. Yeah, against yeah, yeah, the small yeah, yeah. amount. Yeah. So okay. really, yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're signing the paperwork, technically what's happening when you sign the paperwork, 
that money, that $300,000 mortgage where, and then money gets electronically sent over to the seller, they just, that just came into an exist in existence. So the fact that you took on a mortgage, you created new money in the system. That's interesting. And that's why we have a debt-based money system. Well, that and I know, like the world functions on, everybody's so scared of credit now, but you know what? You just need to understand the money game and so that you can work it to your advantage. Put it advantage. to your advantage. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's We're what on the, the same bank, page. That's totally. what the bankers are doing. That's what smart investors are doing. They're looking at. And you know what? Even in business. So I actually just met with a student of mine prior to coming here. Actually, Tom, I had coffee. And, uh, and, and then we talked about that. And she said to me, you know, uh, this is what I learned. You, you told me this in your workshop. She goes, I didn't think it could happen. And I've done it twice since. And I said, really? She goes, yeah. I go, well, that, now you're learning the money game of business. And she's like, oh, I love that. I need to know more about that. And I go, but you know what? When it comes to business, it is like this is the dirty stuff that people don't talk about when it comes to investing and comes to being an entrepreneur and a business owner. You need to learn to manage money and you need to know more than just the basic concepts. And you need to be able to know so that you can use, take the, if you know the rules, then you can apply them to your advantage. And it's not, when I say advantage, I don't mean that in a negative way. Sometimes people are like, oh, you're manipulating. Well, I'm not. You know, when you play a game of Monopoly, you're using the rules to your advantage. And so that's exactly what um, what we're doing. So now because of that conversation this afternoon, uh, I'm going to be building out a workshop just based around the money game. So that because it's that important, people don't talk about it. People don't talk about it because they don't understand it. Actually, Tom, I might come to you and say, hey, Tom, can you uh, give me some advice so that I can apply it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what kind of, I'll just give you anger advice around that. We're getting screwed. My advice will be like, we're all getting screwed. And but but and that's kind of why you mentioned that you love real estate. And just from seeing you, you truly do love it. I really and do. I've always looked at it as a view. Like, I've always looked at it from the other way. Like, hmm, this real estate thing, I really should figure this out. Because this looks like one of the best vehicles that I can see where I can get an information advantage over other people so to your point how you know the property price like in Hamilton Mountain you're like I can say no to that property mm -hmm. part of the reason you can say no to the property like that is you have an information advantage your experience over the years gives right. you that advantage and I found when I'm investing in stocks or the public markets someone else has the information advantage someone else knows what the Bank of Canada may or may not do next week someone else knows what that company is going to do whereas when it comes to real estate not only can I have an information advantage, it's an asset where these percentages that we were talking about in the rule of 72, they work to my advantage now. Mm -hmm. So it's always been a vehicle for me to ultimately live life on my terms to, to, to right. your point, like you're what you really want to be doing. Right. And uh, the fact that we're able to do that here at Rockstar and help people and then there's people like yourself out there doing the same kind of thing, I feel like the fortunate thing over you know the last 10 years i feel in this area of the golden horseshoe there's a bunch of us all doing this stuff together and my hope is that it's raising all of us financially absolutely you, you know what i mean mm -hmm. um i feel like we're just like high-fiving each other right now like yes you've got <laughs> but i mean that's the truth you know that's what i just I, I don't know that's what kind of we're all about and i can tell you're about the same the same stuff so um if someone's gonna start flipping or rehabbing uh properties what advice would you give them just at the beginning you know, if someone's like, you know, I'm going to start this. Oh, well, you know, hands down, they need to get educated. You know, either get a coach or learn by can, can getting. You, can you get a book to do it or no? Oh, for sure. There's tons. Of, I mean, you can Google it. You can watch YouTube videos. You don't have to pay for coaching. There's a lot of good information out there that'll give you enough 
to help negate any risk, not all risk, but some risk. And so, uh, and that's what knowledge does for you, right? Uh, the, the benefit of having a coach is that they'll hold you accountable, keep you moving forward. That's the difference. So here's the biggest problem with getting education is that most people, they're like, oh, I don't know enough yet. I can't do it. No, I don't know enough yet. I can't. So at some point, just be mindful if you want to get into it. Yes, get educated and get the knowledge, whichever way you decide to do that. But don't spend five years on that. Like you need to decide now it's enough. I have enough and I've got people around me. If you're going to networking events, I've got people around me that I can bounce an idea off of or bounce a deal off of and get validation, whether it's good or it's a bad deal and pull the trigger. Like you have to start implementing. That's the only way you're going to get any success in any field at all is by implementing what you learn. I mean, if you, you can go, you can go to the, any colleges and get an MBA, but you're not going to get a successful business if you're not actually implementing what you learned at the college. And this is the same concept. Yeah. We, so that's funny you say that. Cause I tell some people seem to get stuck and they're like, well, I don't feel like I have all the information. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, the last 20% that you're missing, like if you feel like you're like an eight out of 10 and you're missing that last two percent that only comes from doing shit mm -hmm. you know so like you actually have to take the leap make a bunch of mistakes and that's your final piece of education so unless you actually begin you're never going to feel ready that's you know right. and it's that kind of normal feeling um and uh we started so we started with books and then i graduated to some of these tapes i mentioned mm -hmm. then to live courses then to like personal mentors and stuff like that mm -hmm. and we duplicated that with business as well so we did it in the real estate field and then we spent the same money on the uh, other thing and i've always looked at education as an investment absolutely and, yeah and I, I can tell you're the same way so get educated and then i guess um, to start rehabbing, go ahead. Here, here's what I'd like to say about that. So yeah, get the education. And then when you're get out there, start putting out offers and be very conservative when you first, just so that you get the feel of like you want to, if you want to rehab a house, you got to walk through, you got to analyze it every time. So the more you walk through properties, the more you analyze it, the better you're going to get at it. And so, you know, at first it's not going to be, listen, you're going to go so low ball on your offer and that's completely fine. Get it in so that you can start getting comfortable because you don't, you'll never get comfortable doing it until you start practicing it so do it do it a lot be really conservative every so for a newbie investor i always say put conditions in in the offer because then you'll have an exit strategy so whether it's condition of of uh, financing or a condition of property inspection um you always have that out in case you didn't analyze the numbers property if you properly if you get it under contract get a second set of eyeballs on it if it's your first or second property it doesn't hurt now here's the one thing that i hear a lot and this is what i want to say i i really want to quash the 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 stigma that's out there with private money lenders a lot of people are like oh there's no money no money i brought you know people deals all the time and i always keep saying no that's because it wasn't a good deal and i want that let me just repeat that tom may i that's because it wasn't a good deal and I tell you from experience and I tell you from what I know, if somebody brings me a good deal, I'm all over it because the relationship between a rehabber, a flipper, a, a working investor and the capital investor is symbiotic. They need you as much as you need them. So don't look at the investor as the capital investor when he says no as a bad guy because he doesn't want to lend to you. He's actually saving your behind. And that's because if it's a good deal, he's going to be all over it. So 
you need, if you're getting a lot of no's, you want to go back and start looking at how you're analyzing the properties and maybe the spreads are just a little too thin because there's something that you're missing when you're doing your calculations. And there's a lot of numbers, hidden costs that people don't think about when they're doing rehabs and that's how they get hurt. Um, and here's the one thing that I tell all, all of my newbie investors, um, when you're, when you're, um, analyze the, the number one mistake that newbie investors do is that they overanalyze the property when it's when they they, they overanalyze what they can get when it's finished and they under let's say overanalyze they overvalue what the property will be worth when it's finished and they undervalue the cost of the renovation so if you have a forty thousand dollar spread as for your profit uh, after you're paying your capital investor and all of your holding costs and your your buying and disp your disposition costs, all of that included, and you've got a forty thousand dollar profit margin. Think about this for a minute. If your ARV was ARV meaning after repair value, you think you can sell it for five hundred thousand, and let's say your rental cost was valued at forty thousand. Well, now you only sold the property at four eighty. That's not a big difference. If you're selling the property at 480,000, you listed it at 520, say, because you wanted 500, you sold it at 480, completely doable. Like that, that that's, happens all day long. And then the rental cost, you went over budget by 20,000. Where's your profit? You just, and if it's your first rehab, you didn't do it in six months. You did it in six, uh, sorry, in uh, nine to 12. So now you just invested all of that time, the better part of a year, and you made no money. So, and often you're becoming the motivated seller that you were looking for when you <laughs> right. started this whole thing. That's yeah, very yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> so, the reason why I tell this story, Tom, is because I want people to understand if you're going to a lender, they're not liking the numbers. It's it's not you, it's not the deal. It's not because they don't want to work with you, it's because the numbers don't make sense. So, you really got to go back and say, you know, go to Tom, go to Danielle, go to the people that you know that are investing, say, what am I missing here? Like, this is a deal. Why would this not be a good deal? And have somebody educate you because you just, you're missing something. You're either too lean on the numbers, you're overvaluing what the house will be worth on the back end. Um, you know, maybe you're undervaluing the rental. There's something that's missing there. Or maybe you're just not calculating all the holding costs properly. So the way you analyze this, you're obviously well thought out. You've mentioned students a bunch of time. Tell us, like, how did you get into it? You're now teaching people. Tell us about this. Yeah, so... Um, I, so what happened last year? You took a big breath there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a big turning point for me. Uh, I, I really had to to sit back and and reevaluate the direction where my businesses were going. And so, and I was really focused on just the flips, but um, people, I was starting to get uh, reached out to, to ask to speak at events. And so I started speaking at, you know, local real estate groups and, uh, and people were really starting to reach out to me um, to help educate them because what I do know, because of the fact that I just committed so much time to learning everything, I understand my craft very well. And so what happened was people were reaching out and I love helping people. And so I never said no. And then there was one week where I spent and I calculated it. It was six hours just in one week that I had dedicated to just helping people. Three of them were on site visits to properties. Three were on the phone. And so I, uh, I realized at that moment, it, it was starting to impede on my businesses and my goals. It was starting to hold me back a little bit. And then I said to myself, and the last call that I had, it was on a Saturday. I remember I'd pulled up to 
pick up my dry cleaning and I sat outside the dry cleaners for the better part of an hour finishing up this phone call. And at the end of the call, he says to me, he goes, Danielle, that was the absolute best hour I've spent in my entire life, which I think might have been just a little bit more than um, a little bit blown up. But that's what he said to me. He goes, would you sit down with me and go over my whole portfolio and help me get unstuck? And I and I at that moment, that was a moment for me. That's when I decided, you know what, I either need to learn to say no or I need to make it a win-win. So I'm always about making win-win um, situations and build win-win relationships. And so I realized I don't want to say no because I want to help people. I love helping people. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to have to monetize my time if it's going to work because it has to be a win-win. So that's when strategic success happened. So now you have, is it strategic success consulting? That's right. So strategic success consulting, this is where like you're teaching workshops, boot camp, like mm -hmm. what are you doing with people? So right now I'm just doing live events. Okay. Um, I am and going to- And this is specifically to, for rehabbing, teaching how to rehab or all parts of all real estate investing? All investing. This is like a one day thing it, that you do? It, like I said, and now like literally as I'm talking, the demand is crazy. So- I've got my two-day workshop, which is uh, reverse engineering real estate. So most people, they hear about a strategy, they think it's great, and then they try it and it doesn't work out. Um, that's because you didn't look at yourself first. So we, with that workshop, we look at where you are, what you have to invest, time, capital, equity, what do you have? And then we start looking at different strategies, what your goals are, your short-term goals, your long-term goals. And then we start looking at strategies and, and match them up. Because if you're in the wrong strategy, it's not going to work. It's just not. I've, so many people have a full-time job and decide they want to flip a house. And it's just disaster. It's all, total disaster. <laughs> yeah, disaster. Total disaster. Yeah. And some people are adamant. And I say, okay, if you really want to do it, you got to try it. It's not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, and if you don't have the time to commit to it, um, but a lot of times we just need to learn, like you said, we got to learn the hard way. Yeah. So I say, do it once. You're going to learn I, a lot. And I should say, I shouldn't say that because Nick and I both did that. And there's a lot of 4 a.m.s and a lot of 1 a.m.s, you know, up early, up late. And uh, so it's totally possible. I don't want right. to tell someone totally they can't do it. But sorry, go yeah. on. I cut you off. No. So so at the workshop, that's how it started with the one workshop. And uh, just and that workshop, the, the purpose of that workshop is to help people find clarity in the right and, and get the path. So I teach them, OK, these are the strategies that you should be focusing on so that when I start and that's the first half of the first day and then when I start getting into the content they can apply it what they're learning to the strategy that they now have in their minds so that when you're done the workshop you have the confidence to pull the trigger because at the end of the day we can't pull the trigger and implement anything if we're not confident we need to have some sort of knowledge and confidence in order to get out there so so that's how it started but now I there, I just because I'm in these rooms a lot I've gone through the process myself it's still I'm very connected with the road and the path that you have to take to become a realtor a real estate investor and so um so I kind of know where the and, and then there's people so um there's a lot of people now they they hear about self-directed RSPs they're like Danielle how do I do that and and I'm like well I, I can't teach that in 10 minutes I there, there's so much for you to, to know and to learn and questions you need to ask when you're vetting people and different you need to keep your money busy it's not passive 
kind of semi-passive, but there's still some active component to it. And so, and there's the good and the bad. And a lot of people, they get on stage and they say, oh, you should do self-directed and this and that. And they're trying to be, they're self-serving. They're trying to get you to unlock your RSP so that they can borrow it. But are they going to keep your money busy? And if they're not going to keep your money busy at the end of the deal that you do, guess what? Now you're 8%. Is that what's happening at some conferences? People are teaching self-directed investing, but they're the ones who want access to the money? Absolutely. Self-serving. And so it's, it's really frustrating for me. That's frustrating. That's the kind of stuff that frustrates me. That's part of the reason I don't personally go to many conferences or events and stuff because I hear stuff like that Mm. and it's just kind of like I shudder a bit and I don't know, we just keep to ourselves a little bit. Um, but I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. So, so what happened is I happened to, I, pitched it out there and and now people are like all over that so now I'm building out um, several because strategic success is really becoming its own monster um, just by demand there is a serious demand for good but content. this is fulfilling what you wanted to do educating people and- <gasps> well you know what it's I, I there's I can't well you know this Tom because you you do this but there is um uh, a level of personal reward when you can elevate someone and there's you just can't I can't even describe them maybe you can try to describe no, it to it's, your it's, it's the only thing that keeps you sane because when people come back to you saying hey I was able to do this this and this and it might be three years later or five right. years later you you sometimes I'm like thank you for telling me that because I was just about to shut down the entire business and <laughs> it's absolutely I mean? true so yeah. just your comment back right. to Nick and I sometimes mm-hmm in business business is tough and and sometimes we're like what are what are we even doing but then you'll hear a story like that mm-hmm. and it's fuel mm-hmm. that's what it is to me it's pure fuel it's like you know what we have to do this we have to keep going we have right. to try to keep helping and doing these podcasts like we're doing and these little videos that we're trying to share information and that's what it is for us and i'm mm-hmm. sure it's the same for you it's just like you know what by you sharing back how important this information was to you and what you were able to benefit now we have we've been helping people for like 12 years some people have gone adopted children some people have helped families come to canada some people have built um for their in-laws houses special houses they need with special needs and this kind of stuff and they're telling us hey it's because i was able to take some of the concepts and make some money that i didn't know i was going to be able to make some people are new immigrants and they were going to buy franchises but instead they got into real estate investing and they they you know they tell us you know now we have x number of dollars in equity in these properties you've changed our lives we're sending money back home and paid it's for like, their kids education yeah oh my like gosh I, told, I forgot all, i forgot the like obvious paid for know, the kids education absolutely and it's like take, that's that's the one thing that just keeps us going it's just mm-hmm. fuel because uh real estate is tough mm, it is. <laughs> dealing with it bankers is. and lawyers and accountants and cra and sometimes you're just like screw it so uh <laughs> anyway but we haven't we haven't we're keeping so going. if you know any it's good a, banker lawyer <laughs> accountants we, we uh <laughs> So anyway, but that's what it is for us. Sorry, I feel like I went on a rant. No, there it's again. okay. It's okay. But uh, so Rants yeah, I totally good. know what you're. I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. I totally know. So for me, it's like super reward. It's just as rewarding. So like when I when I take a house and I and I take a destroyed house and I make it into this beautiful house that everybody all the neighbors on the block are envious about because of course you know when you do an open house all the neighbors have to come and check it out and so they come and they're like oh I wish my house looked like this so I know that I'm taking this house that was driving down the neighborhood and maybe there was trash on the lawn and maybe it was bad tenants that were living there maybe there was a yapping dog or you know whatever what like and and this house that was in distress and and depleted and I 
bring it back to it, a glory that I don't know. And then I know I have a nice family that's buying it and they go in and they're, they're going to reward that benefit and not have a headache, a home that they can actually relax in. I mean, that's the same, that's why I love what I do. And this, I get the same feeling when I'm teaching because I know that that I'm empowering and I'm enabling people. I'm giving them tools that they need in order to um, get closer to their goals. And and so, I, sorry, now it's my no, turn No, no, you're to good. You're good. So when's the next one? When um, is it coming up? So I have a two-day workshop. You said May. Is yeah. It April? May. May, yeah. So I got a two-day workshop, uh, May 4th and 5th. Um, I do run them like uh, um, every two months or so not including the summer um, because I am a workaholic, but the summertime, sorry guys, we're all taking off. Uh, actually, real estate, if anybody's in real estate, real estate kind of like comes to like everything. Slows down. Like all the doors yeah. shut down in July and August. So, um, so yeah, so I don't run them, but now I've got like, I've got the entire month of June booked every weekend. Um, I'm building cool. out and analyzing the numbers and knowing the numbers uh, program. And I've got the self-directed RSP program now that I'm going to be offering. So in June. The, how do people find the URL to go to? So you can go to my website at strategicsuccessconsulting.com and uh, slash events will take you to the events page and I'll have a calendar of events happening uh, that's on there. Um, just to put it out there, uh, we're going to have that live next week. So, mid, so but, but strategic success consulting.com as the slash, main URL, mm -hmm. you can go there now uh, slash events, slash events right now, the main site, this is again, this is all so new. Um, and anybody who's done anything online, it's a monster to learn. I think, you know, honestly, Tom, I'd say that's probably worse than flipping a house. Estate, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, so if you're listening to this and you, you can't write down this URL and you want to check out Danielle's stuff, we're going to link to it off the show notes for this page. So you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. You'll find a link to this episode there. And we'll link out to strategicsuccessconsulting.com forward slash events. And that'll show the And then we're going to have all out. the events. That's going to be my calendar. You'll be able to click once it's up and running, once it's live, which is going to be, like I said, in the next week or so. What about um, Facebook? And so you mentioned Facebook. Are you on? Yeah. So, the, and you know, it's funny you say about being validated when people share their story. So uh, I I do Facebook live videos. It was just kind of a fun thing to do in the beginning. And now um, if I don't do one after three days, I, I get messages and like my phone blows up. Really. So you're doing them at, the, at your so property? That I, you're do, working? I do them when Wherever. I'm driving. I do them at my property. Like everybody wants to see the properties, right? But I, I you know, I kind of feel like it gets repetitive. So I, I just want to mix it up and I want to, I just want everybody to have value. So when I have a thought, when I have, you know, when I have something that I think can benefit people, uh, I just jump on and I, and I, and I do these live videos and, and I what's share the handle them. for that? Uh, so it's facebook.com slash Danielle Chason. Okay. Or so Danny, we'll, Danny Chason. D-A-N-I Chason. C-H-I-A-S-S-O-N. Yeah. So we'll link to it as well. Okay. Danny cool. Chason. Mm -hmm. Facebook.com so, forward slash Danny Chason. Danny Chason. Anything else you want to hand out right now before we wrap? Yeah, you know what? I, I probably should be better prepared for that, but I think that's enough. Yeah. That's enough for now. Um, You're going to have to come back. We appreciate this yeah. a lot. So I would you, love to come back. Thank yeah, yeah. you. It's an honor being here. Yeah. Thanks, Danielle. Hey everyone, it's Tom Kratzis. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat. Um, we always love talking to people who are actually doing what they're talking about and Danielle's definitely one of those. And if you want some Canadian real estate education from us, you can go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. You can save a seat for one of our introductory training classes. They're about an hour and a half. Nick and I teach that class. You can um, pick up all the different information on what we're how we're investing today from there. We stick around afterwards to answer any of your questions. And listen, if you are listening to this and you think we've 
you've earned some feedback from putting on these podcasts on iTunes specifically. If, if you could give us some feedback, a review or a rating, we greatly appreciate it. It means a lot to us. That's kind of the fuel that keeps driving this thing. We're not even completely sure what we're doing with this podcast, but we're getting enough positive feedback that we're going to keep doing it. So thank you for everyone who's done that already. If you haven't and you think we deserve it, if you could please do so, it really means a lot to us. So thank you. And that's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. Thank you.